You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. Hi. Thanks, Wes. Um, I'm Trisha, and I'm going to be sharing a little bit with you tonight. Um, I wanted to introduce myself a little bit. Um, before I got started. So, um, I grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia. My family still lives there, my parents. Um, And in September of 2003, I started working for the school district of Philadelphia as a teacher. And in January 2004, I moved right around the corner here um, on York Street. And I lived there for about six months. And then I lived over in Kensington for a little while before. Now we live in Mount Airy. My family lives in Mount Airy. I have two kids, uh, 11 and eight, about to be 12 and nine. And I am starting school on Tuesday and they are starting school the following Monday in sixth and third grade. So definitely big kids. Luca has orientation on Friday, which I did not know about for the upper school, and he's going to get there. It's going to be fine, but I had to make a quick modification for that. Um, I became a Christian in high school, so I did not grow up with a lot of the like um, expectations around faith that a lot of folks that I know seem to have grown up with. And um, all of my training is in teaching, so I have no training in biblical studies or seminary or anything like that. I don't come to you as any sort of um, biblical scholar or theologian, merely a person who is trying to figure out how to do faith here with you all. Um, So it is decidedly just like, my experience and my sense of myself in the world and among y'all and I am grateful that we live in a in a community of people who like also are sharing their perspectives and ideas and experiences so that we can keep doing it together and I'm relying on you to do that with me tonight too um this summer so I told you it's like the end of the summer here for me and this summer, one of uh, my goals was to, I was just saying earlier, that I did not do any work in the traditional sense this summer. I didn't take any coursework, I didn't do whatever. It was like, I made it my job, as it were, to try to like get in touch with some joy and some fun. And I took stock over this weekend or at the end of the week and like looked back and I felt like we did it we we had like a really nice fun summer we did roller coasters we did the beach we swam in the pool we um, spent lots of time with friends so it feels um yeah really beautiful and i guess this is my last hurrah (laughs) this tonight um sharing with you and then one more day tomorrow so uh i'm i'm grateful that this is Um, part of what I get to do is being here with you. Uh, I have 
a quick question I want you to think about and, and share out a little bit, and then we're gonna read the passage for this week and get started. So my question, if you wouldn't mind putting it up, Brian, that'd be amazing, um, is I, I'm working with the theme of freedom tonight, and so I'm curious, either what does the word freedom mean to you in your own life, or like what associations maybe do you have with the word freedom? And folks on Zoom can just like drop something in the chat. So maybe like a word or a phrase or an image that comes to mind for you when you think of the word freedom. You can just call it out. Okay. Freedom to self-actualize. When I was thinking about it, I was. When I was thinking about it, I I like can't get the phrase like freedom isn't free out of my head, which is like really like militarist, militaristic, you know. Um, but that always is like that indoctrination is definitely in there for me. Anything else? Anybody wants like to? When, when someone tells me I have to do something, I don't have to do it. Mm. To be able to say, no, I don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. That's good. Thanks. I thought of freedom fries. <laughs> I remember there was a Bush administration. I do remember. So, yeah. I actually also thought of this. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I want, I, I'm hoping that someone will read the passage. I could just pass the mic to you if that'd be okay with you. This is, um, sorry, I did not put the reference up here. This is Luke 13, 10 through 17, I think is the passage. Would someone read it for us? Um, and then I'll kind of get us thinking about it. I want to pass you the mic, so just tell me who you are. Thanks, Julius. Jesus heals a crippled woman. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called over to her and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood straight and began praising God. The leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it to the water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing 
at all the wonderful things being done by him. So I'll admit that the first thing I thought when I saw this passage um, is that I, I felt like kind of cringy about the word crippled. Like it feels really um, derogatory. Um, and it feels really like um, these ideas that we've been working with around liberation and liberation theology and disability theology and sort of like, hmm, I don't want to work with this passage as this idea that like wholeness comes when we no longer have something wrong with us, right? So that's like the first thing that I'm starting to think about is kind of like, um, I'm, I, I'm not approaching this passage with the idea that there's like something about this woman that is unacceptable and needs to be healed. Even though what Jesus does in this moment with her is offer her freedom from the thing that keeps her crippled over. Um, so I'll say this. Also, another thing that like, okay, sorry. So I want to talk about that for just another minute because I want to acknowledge that um, our, our friends who are disabled are whole and loved exactly as they are and we can hold that and know that it is also extremely difficult particularly in our context to have a disability right often we cannot get care that is appropriate folks don't believe um, disabled friends when they go and try to receive care they fail to get compassion and um, honor particularly at the doctors and in the world and so um, that helps me to see that even in this woman showing up in the synagogue there's something really significant that's happening like it means a lot for her to show up in this space and to be herself as she is because there is um, There, there is difficulty in showing up in spaces where we know that people will see us and not uh, see the honor in us, but see that there is something wrong with us, right? There, it's difficult to separate those things out. We have this idea that there's um, something derogatory because we use these ideas in derogatory ways. And we do that because we put less honor on people when, when these characteristics are true of them. And so I just wanna hold that cautiously. Like, let's just acknowledge this is the setting of the story. This is the water that we're treading into. Um, stories like, like these stories are often told in the Bible because people who feel dishonor and who feel unseen are often getting close to Jesus. They, they want to be there. And um, so I see this woman showing up at synagogue, making a statement about her commitment to faith and also about her willingness to just like show up as she is in the world in the way that she can be just then. Um, regardless of enduring mistreatment or um, maybe misunderstood even at, um, in her faith. Um, and when folks expect those kinds of things, pain, heartache, difficulty, it is complicated to show up. So the woman is in the meeting and Jesus is there too and he wants to be close to her. He calls her over and I, 
I really love this about Jesus, and I love it in this passage. He says, you're set free. Um, not you're better or not there's something wrong with you. And I think, too, when I think of freedom, one of the things that I think of is like, actually, it can feel kind of overwhelming, right? Um, there's like this open space. There's choice. There's an ability to um, be self-determined. And sometimes we have an idea, right, about what it means to be free. We have, we have these, like, expectations that either we have put on ourselves or society has put on us. And getting free, I think, actually is some of the best, most miraculous, life-changing work that we can do. And a couple of weeks ago, Jordan was talking about faith. And he was talking about um, how sometimes we need some freedom to either let go of our faith or to deconstruct our faith and rebuild it to actually critically examine what faith is in our own lives. And we got talking about it in our cell meeting that week about what our faith experiences had been like and ways that we had questioned and um, needed to keep processing and thinking about all of those kinds of things. And uh, I, I kind of got to this as we were sort of talking about difficult things that had happened to us in the context of faith or um, the thing that's happening in this passage too, which I'm going to come back to this so I don't want to get derailed by it totally here, but... Um, this way that there is sort of like the rule book by which faith happens. Like, this is how we do faith. We work on these days and we don't work on these days. This is, this is how you show up in this space. This is what you can and can't do. This is what it looks like to live a faithful life. Um, and how damaging a lot of those ideas have been for many of us and how we've really had to wrestle with that. And we were kind of trying to get down, distill down to like, what did, what was the thing that that really like, if we had to kind of like get down to, this is the basic thing about what it means to have faith. And I, I said, I think that our relationship with Jesus gets us free. I think that's what it means to, to like live a life of faith and to be um, a Jesus follower, is that like we're committed to freedom, both in ourselves and for all of us, right? Like that our, that our freedom is necessarily connected to the freedoms of one another. And so I, I've been considering that and, and curious about it. Um, what does that look like for me? And, and how do I know it when I see it? And um, how do I go about committing to it, what changes. Because um, I think like sometimes it makes a lot of sense and there feels like there's like a really good feeling and sometimes it feels disorienting. Like I think this moment feels a little disorienting, right? And you can see the questions that come up. I think when we make moves to get free in our own lives, we encounter the same sort of um, opposition, right? The woman is not even really the topic anymore. 
she is secondary to the fact that the leaders immediately say, what are you doing? This isn't the way our system works. You're out of line. Freedom doesn't happen in this way. This can't be freedom if this is the way to freedom because we, we already have an understanding about what this looks like. Um, and lots of us have ideas about that too, I think, in our own lives. For ourselves and for each other, for the people around us, for the way that our life works. And we've been kind of talking about some of these things too, even for like we're sitting in a circle right now in this meeting, right? Which is like not the way we normally would do it. Um, because we're, we're trying to see like what, what happens when you give up some of the things that you think of as like the basic rules or boxes that we have for how we do faith together. And what does that loosen up? Like, does it matter? Will something change? Can I maybe experience the meeting in a new way or one another in a new way? I'll admit that like, it's a little bit weird for me to sit and give the talk. <laughs> I feel ready to like, be up and moving a little bit more. Um, but it also feels really nice to like, be looking at everyone together in a circle. And I think it is good in other ways, too. So all that to say, I just note that I have a different experience, which maybe changes me and what happens in some small way that can make something different. Um, and that's true not just about you know, what's happening in this meeting, and not just in our faith life, but in all kinds of ways in our lives, like in relationships, in our neighborhoods, in what it looks like to be responsible, in our jobs, what we think about as being good or having a respectable life that, that we want for ourselves and for the people around us. The leader has his ideas about what happens in synagogue and on the Sabbath, and he's upset with Jesus. He even starts talking to other people about the problem because he wants people to uphold his rules about what happens. There are six days on which you ought to be, where it ought to be done. She should have come on those days and be cured and not on the Sabbath. And so he, like, he is really committed to the system that he has because he, want, he understands it works. He wants it to be that way, right? And I don't know why else. Maybe because he feels uncomfortable. Maybe because he doesn't like what's happening. Maybe because he knows this is really a leap. But maybe, maybe he's not ready to get free from the rules. And he's not ready for other people to do it either. I don't know, but I wonder. And I think we keep encountering these things too when we're trying to live a life of freedom. People will have problems with the process. People will tell you it's wrong, um, that you didn't work hard enough or you didn't suffer enough, or maybe you'll tell yourself that, you know? Like, I know I have those, those scripts that I, that I run through. And I wanna share another um, passage from a book that I read that kind of has a similar theme to this. And I just wanna say that um, even as I'm talking about like breaking out of the ideas that we have, um, I felt aware and I feel aware as I read things that are 
like outside of my comfort zone of what I think about faith that I have to kind of um, consider what's happening in me that this feels strange or like maybe it's not um, the thing that I assumed as faith. Is that because there's something there that is meaningful for me and I want to hold on to? Do I have a resistance to this because um, there's something I don't understand here or I think it flies in the face of things that I have experienced or whatever? Um, and I'm saying all that to say that um, there have been times as I am trying to do that that I have a, a reaction and I sort of want to toss it out or I don't want to get a little bit deeper in. And so I think some of what's happening in this passage is this woman also. Um, this is Dr. Christina Cleveland, so you know, and the book is um, God is Black Woman. Um, so she is recounting a story that she is familiar with, an old story from the 17th, a 17th century allegory. And she's telling the story and then how it impacts her and how she's considering the things that she needs to get free from in her own life in order to move into the next season. So um, it's just a couple of pages, but it might seem a little bit long. And I didn't put it up because I just want you to listen. But um, yeah, here we go. In Pilgrim's Progress, a 17th century allegory, Bunyan tells the story of a man named Christian who decides to embark on an epic pilgrimage in pursuit of true liberating life. At the start of the book, we find Christian so overtaken by his urgency to begin his journey that he is literally running out of his house and away from all he knows. Bunyan narrates, the man began to run. He hadn't run far from his own door when his wife and children noticed what he was doing and cried out to him, come back, come home. The man put his fingers in his ears and ran on. Life, life, eternal life. Christian's story had been stirring in me since I read it as a child. Even then, I related to Christian, and I wondered if I, too, would need to run away from my family. A good girl in a violently patriarchal family at the time, I didn't consciously understand how abusive my family really was, but I could sense my constant terror and loneliness, and I longed to break free. Decades later, as I settled into my pilgrimage life in, the, in, in France, I simmered with the urgency Christian exuded as he plugged his ears, ran away from all of the loved ones who tried to hold him back and screamed, life, life, eternal life. I was struck by the fact that his family and close friends were actually holding him back on his journey toward true life. After all, Family members and other beloveds are supposed to be cheering us on as we seek healing and liberation. But this wasn't the case for Christian. In fact, his first obstacles to liberation were not a lack of money, physical injury, or even hostile strangers and animals. Though he would encounter those impediments on his long and harrowing journey toward freedom, his first obstacles were the loved ones who tried to prevent him from even beginning his journey. I felt a kinship with Christian. The, primar the primary obstacles to my ongoing liberation were not money, social media platform, or even the loss of the broader spiritual communities to which I belonged. Heartbreakingly, the primary obstacles were the people closest to me. They were only temptation. They were the only temptation that could compel me to return. 
though losing my lucrative speaking income stung. I still had my Duke job and a roof over my head, and honestly, the loss of thousands of social media followers felt more like a cleansing than anything else. I had long grown wary of my white Christian followers and their anemic, performative allyship. No, if I was going to turn back at this point, it would be in order to save my cherished relationships with my family and lifelong friends. Like Christian, most of my family and friends were unable to support me on my journey, much less accompany me. And I quickly realized that most of my close relationships were governed by white male God, slickest brand of white patriarchy, the kind that convinces you that faithfulness means silencing the urge to run toward freedom. Faithfulness means staying put. Faithfulness means loyalty to everyone but yourself. I knew that my liberating journey toward the sacred black feminine would require more than simply saying no to speaking invitations. It would require that I completely release or rewire my beloved relationships. No more hierarchy and no more toxic enmeshment. No more relationships that require me to hide any of my glorious, gloriously divine black female self. Like Christian, I felt the urge to plug my ears and run away from my beloved, screaming, life, life, eternal life. But first, I needed to recognize and escape the monster fear control cycle in my relational life. So then she goes on to talk about what that looks like in her own life. But um, I think the reason that that really stuck out to me is like, um, I think that we have been taught to really value family and familial relationships and we build up this idea and and like she's saying like there there have historically been some truths to that right like there are ways that we rely on our families and the people closest to us and that we have these tight knit relationships with and then we also come to places where we have to do something different and um, I think that like that tension can feel really um, um, my my one friend used the word grief to describe it. It is a grief over the loss of the relationship that you did have, the one that you wanted, the thing that you were hoping for and never got, um, the life that you longed to live and no longer can. Um, and I think grief is a very real way to describe how we have to sort of like put to death the old way of things in order to bring life to something new, right? This like, this old Christian cycle of life and death, of the dying of the old and, and making way for the new thing to, to be born again. Um, <clears throat> So this helped me consider that as we become new, um, there will be discomfort as we change, but we have opportunities as well. Um, freedom expands. Jesus calls out the hypocrites, right? He says, all of you untie your ox and donkey and lead them to water. Everybody has to drink. Everybody has to live. We, we have to seek after the things that help us to keep growing and changing. We have to eat and drink every day. Um, and I appreciate that because to me, that's, that's what Jesus is saying. Like this is, this freedom, this is how you eat and drink. You, you, get, you get free. 
you take away the things that, that hold you um, and keep you from really like taking in your nourishment. And then this at the very end. Um, and ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things being done by him. Um, so I hope that we can consider some possibilities um, for, for what that could look like. And I think also consider that um, we really need each other to do this work. Like I was talking about how we were talking about this at Cell. And I was really caught up in like all the ways that I want to. I was talking about all the ways that like once I start to go through uh, a space, like I can use the analogy best in cleaning, but I think it is resonant with um, questions of faith too is that like once I start going through things all I just see is all the stuff there is to do like there's this drawer that just is a disaster and we've got to like dump everything out and go through everything and put it back together neatly and then be done with that and then like well this probably really belongs with this stuff and well now we have to reorganize that space too um, and before you know it, it's like the whole room is, everything's dumped out in the middle and we're reorganizing the whole thing and the whole house is like on the horizon within minutes because it just, it all has to be done. And I think questions of faith can be like that too and can feel a little bit disorienting because um, where do the questions end? <laughs> where does the certainty stand anymore, you know? Um, and as I was sort of getting into this like spirally place, someone in my cell said, yeah, but, but we are doing it together. Like you're not the only one who is responsible for the whole house and the whole thing. Um, everybody else is doing the work too. We're, we're learning from each other. We can rely on each other. We can trust each other to keep doing this work together. And I think that was like, um, so loving and beautiful and supportive to point that out because that is what we're doing together. We're asking these questions together and we're trying to keep figuring it out. So I have like a few ideas about what we can get free from and then also what we are free to as we are thinking about this because it was helpful for me to think about that. Um, so I have just like a very short list here, but I think there are lots of implications. I think that we have freedom from and can get free from oppression and hate, like racism, ableism, homophobia, sexism. We can get free from the expectations of others, and we can get free from thinking of ourselves in boxes, right? So that's like, to me, these are spaces where there's like, there's no end to this work. These are things that we keep getting into, that we, have to, that we have to keep getting into. And then things that we are free to do is on the next list. And again, this is um, like a very short beginning list, but we're free to feel and see beauty. We're free to celebrate, live fully, ask questions with no answers. There, that is for me big time. Explore, relate, show up, be messy, be seen, be loud, take up space, be known love and be loved. Um, 
And you know, I think like the biggest thing for me that I kind of started with at the beginning of the story, and then I'm gonna tell you one quick, but I'll tell you a little bit about what's been happening in me recently um, and ask you to share about like what resonates or what you're noticing or how you're getting free these days. Um, but the, a big thing for me in the story is like that the woman shows up, you know? Um, she doesn't hide herself away. She doesn't stay out. Um, she shows up and it's an opportunity for freedom when she shows up. Um, so one of the things that I have been talking about and processing and thinking through is like how to do a new thing when it feels really hard and um, like if it feels like being a novice because when you do th a new thing you don't really know what you're doing yet and it feels hard. Um, and so I, so a few of us in this room, but um, I took a pottery class next week. Today was the second to last class and I think I'm just about done and next week is the very last class and I don't think I should have any work remaining next week. But um, I am terrible at pottery and uh, I signed up intentionally to do a new thing that I didn't know how to do because I wanted to try to do something that was like embodied. I had this movement in the spring where I was really thinking about how I could get into my body um, and I've been feeling a lot of my feelings and doing new things with emotions and I thought like I want to get into my body a little bit and so an invitation came to join folks who were taking a pottery class and I agreed to do it and I, st I, st I started the meeting telling you that I'm a teacher, right? And so even though I did not intentionally take this class in order to improve my teaching practice, I think that it has been probably the single best thing I've done for my teaching practice in years, um, which is like show up in a space as a student where I did not know what to expect, what was going to happen, and anything about how already to do the thing I was learning to do. And I felt so insecure and embarrassed in this classroom for the entire time. And when the teacher walked anywhere near me, I felt the most disturbing combination of um, longing to, for her to just like tell me the thing that would make me better so that I could be better, and also just like horror at the idea that she would notice how terrible I already was at this task, and, and say it, you know? <laughs> so I felt entirely paralyzed, just like, please don't notice me, please don't see how terrible I am, and also, you're the teacher, you, surely you can help make this better, right? Um, and it, is it's been uh, I'm still not very good I did make a few things um, but it has really helped me to realign my sense of um, both like progress and honoring uh, 
I mean, I used the word novice before, but just like I, ha I had the week where it was like, okay, this, uh, so just to give you all the details, the, the thing that I could not do was pull the walls of the clay up, mm. which is the whole thing. It's not the whole thing, <laughs> but it's like, okay, I can center the clay, I can pull it out a little bit, but I could not pull the walls up. Like as soon as they started to, it all just got completely out of hand. And there's this thing that people do when they're working with clay, which is just like, oh, if you watch the videos and whatnot of the people, it got a little uneven there, so I'm just gonna straighten it out. They just like put their hands back over it and it's just all fine then. <laughs> I don't understand why. <laughs> um, mine just goes like this. <laughs> and then it collapses and cannot be used. Um, anyway, all that to say. Uh, doing a new thing is really hard and having the outward expression that I could see physically of like the messiness uh, felt really resonant. Like it was like, yes, I know this experience. When things get out of hand and they just sort of fall apart. Um, and you can still just like start again. <laughs> just like, you get a new piece of clay, you center it again, you give it another try, and you get somewhere eventually. And maybe never to the like thing that you're hoping for. Anyway, so that's like one way that I have been sort of engaging with this process of like, um, yeah, trying to figure out how to do something new that isn't quite the thing that I'm hoping that it would be. And I think faith is a lot like that. Um, because we have really, uh, we don't know what we're doing. It's very messy. And it can feel sort of, um, yeah, like being a novice all the time. So that's it. Uh, I'm, I, oh, I was going to read a poem. Let me read a, this poem, because I'm into poetry now, too. Uh, and then you can share about how you're getting free. What does freedom mean to you? So I'm, I'm going to read this, pray, and then I want you to share. This is called, Do Not Ask Your Children to Strive. Do not ask your children to strive for extra extraordinary lives. Such striving may seem admirable, but it is the way of foolishness. Help them instead to find the wonder and the marvel of an ordinary life. Show them the joy of tasting tomatoes, apples, and pears. Show them how to cry when pets and people die. Show them the infinite pleasure in the touch of a hand and make the ordinary come alive for them. The extraordinary will take care of itself. That's William Martin. God, thanks so much for the chance to be together today.
um, for the ways that you show up in the room with us here. Thank you for um, the people who have shown up here in this room and on Zoom for the opportunity to consider what it means to uh, live free lives. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.